Almighty Lord, uh, we thank you that as we come before you, we're reminded that it's your faithfulness that draws us. It's your goodness. You are loyal and committed to us, Lord, even when we are not to you. We thank you that we can come and learn uh, what it means to follow you and to love you and to serve you. May you grow us, Lord, in our faith. May our lives grow to become more uh, and more like Jesus. And may you guide us, Lord, to understand rightly uh, your word and what you desire from us. For your glory, we pray all of this. Amen. Uh, so if you remember two weeks ago, I think, uh, it was the last time we did virtues. Uh, we talked about the virtue of generosity. Um, or more specifically, right? we talked about how generosity on its own is not, uh, it flows from other things. We talked about some of the, the foundations of, of generosity. Um, one of those, right, is that because we're human, because we're sinful and fallen people, one of the things that usually ends up driving us uh, is some sort of, we're, we're pursuing security, right? We want to feel secure. We want to feel safe. We want to feel like everything's going to be okay. Um, so we look to things like, okay, I have enough money in the bank account, therefore I'm secure. Or, you know, I'm with my family, I'm secure. Or this, everything's going right for me. Um, but the problem is, right, we start to lose security when we try to keep it. Uh, it seems backwards, but the more that we try to hold on to security, it's like a, a slippery fish, right? It just slips right out of your hands. Um, what we fail to understand, right, is that security doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from the things that we do or the toil that we work, our bank account, um, how successful we are. Um, security comes from the Lord. We looked at Psalm 127. Uh, it's in vain that you go to bed late and you get up early, eating the bread of anxious toil. All that's vanity because he gives to his beloved sleep. Uh, rest and therefore security comes from trusting God. Uh, yeah, it's, it's backwards, right? But security doesn't come when we capture it. It comes when we are captured by God and when we surrender ourselves to the Lord. Uh, that's when we realize, right, that things like riches and time for yourself uh, and having enough energy, those things uh, won't solve your problems. In fact, those are actually, uh, it's, again, the opposite. I think it's the great philosopher, notorious B.I.G., who said, more money, more problems, or something like that. Uh, comfort and wealth blind us to our dependency. And so we talked about, so which is better, right? To be rich or to be poor? And scripture shows us again and again that the commands for those who are rich outnumber those who are poor. The commands for the rich are you're going to want to trust your money and you need to trust God. In fact, what Jesus says to the rich young ruler, right, is give all that you have away and then you will be following me. And he goes away sad because he had great possessions. He didn't want to lose his possessions. But what scripture shows us is that those things don't actually matter. What matters is our hearts towards the Lord. So when Jesus sees the, the widow give the two, two pennies, right, he says, her faith is the standard. Be like her, not like the rich people who are giving out of this abundance. Right? They're giving one, one half of one-tenth of one percent of what they have. She's giving literally everything she has in trust and dependence on God. So generosity right, is not about how much you give, Right? It's not about uh, the abundance that you, that you have on your own. Only when you have enough can you give. 
Generosity flows out from trusting God for your security, surrendering to him, and realizing that riches are a gift, a gift to be used for someone else, uh, to to be used to bless others. Uh, Because at the end of the day, it all belongs to God. It's not ours to keep. Uh, We talked about how it's not just money, right? It's our time. It's our energy. Who do we spend our time with? People who can give us something in return, the people that we want to be around, or do we spend our time for the blessings of some other people who may need it, but are not always you know, reciprocal? So, so that's, that's the heart of generosity. Uh, so today I'd like to talk about a different virtue. Because uh, if you remember, we've been talking about how do we love God with our minds, how do we love him with our hearts, uh, and now we've been discussing how do we love God with our lives. What does it mean to love God with our strength, with our might, with the things that we have? Um, so today, one of the virtues that I want to talk about is one that's, um, it's, I think, not as, it's pretty, man, what a, what a sense. This virtue is under attack in the world. I think maybe to a much greater extent than some of the other ones. Um, and I think that virtue is faithfulness. I think it's under attack for several reasons. One is because um, deep down we all fear and hate faithfulness. Now you're going to give a puzzled look and say, well, I don't fear faithfulness. I don't hate faithfulness. But I want you to think about your lives and think about especially all the things around it. Think about the advertisements you see or the movies you watch or the TV shows or the books, the music, um, all these examples that we have of, of people in, in media, right? How many of those people are truly faithful? How many of those examples are uplift, uplifted as examples of faithfulness, fidelity, loyalty, right? Or do we see in our culture uh, just a continual stream of, of anti-faithfulness? Or in reality, more like faithfulness to the wrong things? John? That's true, yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's get there. Um, I think before we def- you know, put a big definition on faithfulness, what are the principles behind faithfulness? What are the, what are the foundational principles that we think of when we think of faithfulness? Love. Love. Okay. Faithfulness and love, you can't separate them. What else? Being true to your word. Being true to your word. Absolutely. Honesty. Now, what else? Trustworthy. Trustworthy, right? Someone else knows that you will be honest. Someone else knows that you will act in love. Or that you can be trusted to do what you say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe a track record. Mm-hmm. What else? Yeah, Charlie. Your parameters of what the relationship is defined Okay. Required. Yeah, absolutely. Can you be faithful to something that doesn't exist? I mean, sure, if it's in a, a made-up ideal, but usually when we think about faithfulness, there's a context, right? A marriage. A marriage has clearly defined boundaries that we vow when we start. Here are the boundaries that I will, be, that I will operate within, and I'll be faithful. I will not step over them. What else?
Does faithfulness cost something? Does faithfulness cost anything? Yeah. So I think if you, there's a principle behind faithfulness, a foundational thing of being willing to pay the price. Right. In a, in a sense, when you're making that commitment, you are saying, I am going to stay here even to the exclusion of other things that perhaps I might want. And even, right, if it gets hard. I think that's the thing that the world and we deep down actually fear is because faithfulness costs something. Right? It costs cutting off maybe a desire or cutting off a future avenue that maybe you'd want to pursue. But at the end of the day, it's saying, I'm going to stick here. I'm going to stay here and be faithful, even if it gets hard. I think that's the scary thing. Yeah, John. Yeah, tons of times. Right. Yeah, those are the boundaries. It's true. Yeah. I think if if we would ask the question, well, why should we be faithful? The number one answer that I hope would jump to your minds is, well, because God is faithful, right? Because we are in relationship to our creator. He is faithful. And what does it look like if we don't hold up our end of the bargain, right? If we are not in, if we are not faithful both to him and to the things he's called us to do. Um, so the principles that you think about faithfulness, I think you see most clearly in how God treats his people. Right, what are the things that the Lord says? He loves his people. He is love. Right, God never says that he is, you know, he has this emotion. He says he is love. It's not about his emotional life, right? This is an action that the Lord is pursuing. But he is acting in love for his people. And he does this because he is he's loyal. Right, there's this fundamental part of God that he stays true to his commitments. First, that he makes commitments with his people. Right? He makes commitments to his creation, uh, and then he keeps them. He doesn't violate his commitments. So, for example, right, the, go back to marriage. When you get married, right, you vow that you're not going to break the covenant you're not going to go in and pursue a relationship with someone else outside of the marriage. You're not going to marry someone else, but you also pledge your loyalty inside the marriage. 
It's not just, okay, you know, we're going to be married, and I'm not going to marry someone else, but we're going to stay in separate places, and you're going to do your own thing, I'm going to do my thing. But you're vowing to be unified, to be faithful to each other. You pledge your loyalty. You pledge to act in love. Well, God does the exact same thing with his people, except on a much grander and and clearly more perfect scale. He makes vows and commitments to his people. He makes covenants with them. And he says, I'm not going to go and make a covenant with someone else. I'm going to be faithful to you. And not only that, but I'm going to be loyal and act in love to you because of this covenant that we've made. And then what Steve brought up, staying true to your word. Right? Does God ever lie? I'm hearing a lot less no's than I should. Does God ever lie? Absolutely not. No, of course not. God always tells the truth. He's always faithful to his word. So that when he says he will do something, he does it. Right? When he promises to fulfill his to fulfill a promise, he does. There's actually a the the word faithful in scripture um, has an alternate meaning that means truth. Then when it says God is faithful, it could also mean God is truth. He is true to his word. It means that if you say you're going to mow the lawn on Saturday and you don't mow the lawn, you've broken your word. You're not being faithful. Uh, and then I think of the covenant with, that God made with Abraham, right? where here's, here's this lowly man, Abraham. God makes this covenant with him to give him this nation, to produce an offspring from him, to provide a land for him. And he says, all right, we're going to do the typical covenant thing. We're going to slice up all these animals, right? And we're going to walk through the bloody entrails as a sign that we are both committed to this relationship. And then God says, Abraham, go to sleep. I'm going to walk through by myself. So it's as if the Lord is taking upon himself not only his own obligations, not only his own side of the bargain, but also Abraham's. God is willing to pay the price of faithfulness and pay the price of Abraham's unfaithfulness. That is far and a more far and away more than we are willing to do. Because I think all of us would be willing to pay the price for our own faithfulness in some way. But if you said, well, someone else is going to be unfaithful and you have to pay the price, you'd say, no, I'm not going to do that. So I think these are some of the reasons why we are called to be faithful and also why the world hates faithfulness. Because it's hard. It costs something. Um, it means being faithful when it's going to take work and effort when it will be more difficult to stay in the relationship than it would be to leave. Now, I do have to be careful that don't just say, well, you need to stay in every relationship that's terrible no matter what because that's what God would do. That's not what Scripture says. But Scripture does say that we are called to be faithful like God is faithful. And that means that we have to prioritize the things that God prioritizes. Um, following Jesus is not always easy. Being married is not always easy. Having a job, not always easy. Going to school, right? Obeying your parents, being faithful to them, that's not always easy. 
So how does, what does the world value? Does the world value any of these things? Loyalty, love, commitment, selflessness. Does the world value these things? What do you think? To some extent. Okay. So what does that look like? Looks like faithfulness in marriage for even unbelievers. Okay. So there's maybe a sense that when you get married, you should stay in the marriage. <coughs> Charlie. I think it's often mixed with pragmatism. So we value those things insofar as we gain from them. We like when other people are selfless so that we can get more of their time for whatever economic or vocational gain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Or, right, there's a commitment until the emotions dry out. John? I think without them knowing it or maybe admitting it, it works consciousness. They're only doing it because, similar to what Charlie said, only in an eternal sense that they ever think that way to relieve their conscience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's definitely the sense that loyalty is earned, that you and trust is earned, right? You give your trust and your loyalty to those who have proven that they are trustworthy and worthy of your loyalty, right? There's the unfa- there's the faithfulness as long as these conditions are met. I will be faithful. I will do it as long as you fulfill your end of the bargain. So at the end of the day, it kind of ends up being a mutually beneficial relationship, right? We're married because we get these great tax benefits, and they cook, and I vacuum, and it's great. It's so wonderful. They stop cooking. Now, wait a minute. I'm, I'm vacuuming. I'm holding on my end of the bargain. Why aren't you doing yours? And then they, when things get hard, right, and things start tearing crumbling down and the emotions that started become much less vibrant, right? What happens? Why is the divorce rate so high? Even in the church. Why are the examples of people that we have in in television and TV and movies, why are they all just people who kind of seem to do whatever they want? They follow their own desires. Adultery in in media is like, name a movie that hasn't included it in some degree. Or some TV show that doesn't have some character who's this person who sleeps around with everybody. And it's no big deal. In fact, they're the funny person. The world does not value faithfulness. There's this value of loyalty, but... The world values two kinds of loyalty. Loyalty to those who deserve it uh, and loyalty to yourself. That is using the words that we might use, right? Using the terms and saying, oh yeah, totally, I value loyalty. I value staying true to yourself. Follow your heart, right? You are the, you are the center of everything. Think how stupid that is. 
one day we might have this emotion, another day we might have that emotion. You can't do that. That never works in a relationship. Yeah. If your friend, the heart, jumped off a cliff, would you jump too? Well, I loved you yesterday, but I don't love you today. Yeah. Yeah, heart is deceitful. It's darkened, blackened by sin. Yeah, so I, I think the world takes some of these aspects, right, and twists them. It values faithfulness only so long as faithfulness benefits or faithfulness is earned. Uh, the world values honesty to you as long as others are honest with you. Right? But how many of us have told little white lies? How many of us have told half-truths that make us look better? How many of us have, have confessed a sin but not gone all the way and confessed the whole thing, just part of it? Or said, yeah, honey, you look great in that dress. That's a joke. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the paradox that you don't want to jump into. The answer is yes, yeah, she always looks good. Take note, guys. She always looks good in that dress. Um, right, we want others to be honest with us, but we have leniency with ourselves. We think, well, it's not really hurting anybody, but it's benefiting us. I think that attitude of, well, it's kind of harmless, that's more dangerous than the, maybe the big, bold unfaithfulness that you might think of. You might think of, okay, adultery is such a terrible thing. You go and you, and you sleep with someone else who's not your wife. That's so terrible. But right, we have this kind of idea, well, at least I'm not doing that when we are unfaithful in little ways. At least I am not going and committing adultery, but you know, I'm scrolling social media and I see a picture and I have a thought. Or we don't tell our spouse the whole truth. Or we tell our spouse we're going to do something and then we don't. Or we tell our parents, yeah, I totally finished my homework. Or we do our chores, but we do a bad job. Right? These are little unfaithfulnesses, little harmless things that we think are not that big a deal. Uh, the problem is, and the scary thing is that it is a big deal to God. And God says it's not enough to be faithful in the big things and not in the little things. If you're not faithful with a little, why would you, anybody expect you to be faithful with the big things? And Jesus will uh, say many parables to this effect, right? If you're not going to be faithful with something that doesn't even belong to you, why would you be faithful with something that does? Or he gives this talent to this man, and he is not faithful with it, and says, well, if you're not faithful with a little, why would I trust you with a lot? The problem is that little harmless unfaithfulnesses, micro-unfaithfulnesses, I'm coining that term today, these are a big deal, and they also lead to further patterns of sin. That we... we and me, myself included, don't take it seriously when God says, when Jesus says, 
even a look or a thought about someone else who's not your spouse and not your future spouse, that is not only wrong, but it is the same as committing adultery. It's on the same level. Jesus takes that very seriously. Uh, and the world does not. Right? The world has mounted a, a full-scale invasion on faithfulness. It's not just that you see it in the media. Right? You see it on every corner of the internet, on every billboard, in every store, all the time. There's this um, example, right, that nobody, nobody really starts out on their wedding night committing adultery. No one on their wedding night says, you know what would be great? I'm going to commit adultery. Maybe a few terrible psychotic people do. But the point is that most of us on our wedding night are not like that. We don't start there. It starts with the little things. And that is how the pattern of sin gets built. That is one little harmless thing that leads to a little bit bigger of a harmless thing. That leads to another little bit bigger of a harmless thing. And then you wake up and realize where you are, and it's too late. But the world is bent on pushing all of us on this path. This slippy slide that goes all the way down into the depths of sin. So eventually what seems like an absurd idea on your wedding night eventually turns into something enticing. And it's designed that way. So I think when we talk about faithfulness, right, we don't just talk about the foundational things. But we also need to look at our own hearts and say, if this is the standard that God has called us to, perfection, and we're not there, what, what do we do about that? Is all hope lost? Should we just give in and say, well, if I already screwed up a little, might as well screw up a lot. That's, easy. That's the easy road. Confess and repent. That is arguably one of the hardest things to do. To do right. To do faithfully. But I think for us living in a fallen world, as fallen people who are sinful, confessing and repenting is the number one thing that we should do. That's that's what faithfulness looks like. Saying, I messed up. I'm going to be honest with you, completely honest, and I'm going to pay the price. I'm willing to pay the price to be faithful in this way, even though I know it's going to hurt and be hard. John. Yes. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's hard to be confronted with our own sin and to admit and understand the depths of it. Uh, but I think the pattern that God calls us to follow doesn't change, right? It's it's the confession of repentance, but that only begins when we understand our sin, but also. Confession and repentance is is an admittance that we can't do it and we need help and forgiveness. And that's not just true for, you know, in our marriages and our in our sexual sins or in our relationships to each other. It's it's true in our relationships with our kids and kids, your relationship to your parents. All right? Parents to each other, in a church, in a church body being willing to confess to each other, repent to each other. But confession and repentance means nothing unless we are first trusting in God. Right? It's, it's easy to say, I'm sorry, I messed up, and then never change. It's easy to say the right things, but it's hard to show it with your life. And the crux of the matter, right, is that confession of repentance is you saying that you can't do it on your own, that you need help, that you can't change without the help of someone else. So that's where God's character comes in. Uh, Here's this verse in 2 Timothy. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we also reign with him. If we deny him... He will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. My goal today is not to set up, you know, faithfulness is this lofty ideal, this perfect standard that you all need to meet. Go and have fun, right? The goal is, here's the standard that we need to meet. None of us are meeting it. So what's our hope? It's that God is faithful when we're not. That he never stops being faithful. This is the thing that the world does not get. If someone stops being faithful to you, what do you do? Well, you stop being faithful to them. That's fair. God says, if, if you stop being faithful to me, that doesn't change me. That doesn't change how I should act. I can't deny my own character. So this affects, right, what do we do when someone is unfaithful to us and comes and says, I'm sorry, please forgive me. It means our response has to be, I forgive you. Because if someone else is unfaithful to to us, does that give us the excuse to say, well, that's it? You know, you said sorry, you're showing repentance, but I'm done. This is hard. And just because it's a principle doesn't mean that it's, that we have to blindly forgive even when all the flags are saying this person is not repentant. But this does mean that if we're to follow Jesus, 
his call is be faithful. Even when someone else is not. Because we're going to be unfaithful to each other, to our parents, uh, to our, our spouses, to each other as a church. But at the end of the day, right, we, we can only be faithful because he was first faithful to us. Like God has made a commitment that he will be loyal to his people no matter the cost. Um, so as we think about faithfulness, that standard and ideal doesn't change, but how we approach it does. That our identity is not built in our own faithfulness. Our identity is in God's faithfulness. So that changes how we act when we are unfaithful to confess and to repent, to seek forgiveness, and also to seek God's help. Right? If we are stuck in a pattern of sin, seek help. If we are continually being thrust by the world right, in its patterns of unfaithfulness, we need to turn back to God and fill ourselves with his truth and remember where our identity lies. You know, I think of this, this verse in First Corinthians. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is the, the lie that the world says. There is no hope. There is no escape. There is no way out. It's all on your shoulders. And of course, what happens when you mess up is, well, it's on your shoulders. You feel that weight and that burden crushing you. And there's no way around it except to try to you know, excuse it, come up with defenses, justifications, make it somebody else's fault. These are all our tendencies, but when we come to it, it's not about us. The way forward is not to believe that it's on your shoulders, but to take it to God, to lay it at his feet. That is where we're called to go and lay the burden on him. So do you all understand faithfulness now? Yeah. There's a... I'm done with my stuff. We're tons early. Let me read Um, Lamentations. Okay. Three. Through the Lord's mercy, we are not because his compassions fail them. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. Amen. The Lord is our portion, and great is his faithfulness. Any closing thoughts or questions? Find the so the opposite of faithfulness. Um, 
good question. Unfaithful. Well, without using that word. <laughs> Probably it's probably getting there, yeah. Something like self selfishness, maybe even idolatry. Stumbling block? Self reliance. Self reliance. Yeah. I mean if the crux of faithfulness is loyalty, love, commitment, um, paying the price, unfaithfulness is Pursuing your own good, a loyalty at someone else's cost. Yeah. Did you have something in mind, Brett? Charlie? The cross, the cross is where we see God paying the price for faithfulness and paying the price for our unfaithfulness, right? Because he died for our sins, paid the price, and then the cross is also what it required of God for him to be faithful to us. That was what it took for us to become his people, for him to be faithful to all of his promises to us. He was willing to pay that price. All of it. Well, might we pray and seek God's his face. Mighty Lord, we thank you that as we come before you, that you never shy away from telling us the truth, that we are sinners that we are unfaithful people, Lord. And we confess that before you, and we ask that you forgive us, that you would cleanse us, that you would set our hearts on the right path again. But Lord, we thank you that we can also see in you a faithfulness that overpowers all of our sin, a faithfulness that washes us clean, that we can stand before you, not because of how great we've been, but because of how amazing you are and your grace is. We thank you, Lord. Help us to continually confess and repent to each other. Help us to forgive each other. Help us, Lord, to pursue faithfulness by your strength and for your glory. We pray all of this in your amazing name. Amen.